is not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. It's the last episode of Not Sam Wrestling of the year 2018, the year of our Lord, soon to be replaced by 2019, the year of our Lord, and by our Lord, of course, I mean Vince McMahon. Welcome. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. I'm very excited. It's a very special show. You know, uh, it's the holidays, of course. Hope everybody had a fabulous Christmas or Hanukkah, or Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate. Maybe you don't celebrate at all. I know some people don't celebrate anything. Some people celebrate uh, Festivus, whatever it is. I just hope it's been an amazing week. I hope it's been a great season. I feel like the joy is contagious in the sense that even if you don't celebrate all these holidays, you get a feel for it, you know? I got under my Christmas tree. So three years ago, I'm out in uh, Los Angeles, California as the great Stone Cold Steve Austin refers to it as. Uh, And I was there, and I was doing a bunch of things, but one of the things that I did while I was there is I made the pilgrimage to Reseda so I could see my first PWG show. And because PWG was there that weekend, a bunch of wrestlers were there that weekend. So what I did was, I think the PWG show was maybe on a Saturday night, let's say, maybe a Friday night, whatever it was. Let's call it Friday. PWG was on the Friday night. What I did that Friday afternoon was I went to a a hotel and out, and you can find these interviews on YouTube, out on the balcony of a hotel, I interviewed Adam Cole before uh, a big match, a big PWG match that he had that night. Went to PWG that night. The next day, I met up with a superstar named Drew Gulak, who I actually had just met at PWG the night before, and we drove around in an automobile that was driven by somebody that was helping me out that weekend and went to the PWG show with me, and that's one, Kathy Kelly. So Kathy Kelly is driving around in a car with me and Drew Gulak, and we're going around trying to find a spot to do an interview, and we find a house that's under construction, so we know that nobody lives there, and we sit on the stoop, Drew Gulak and I, And we do this interview. Under my Christmas tree this year, Santa Claus had left Mattel figures of Adam Cole and Drew Gulak. And I have to text Kathy Kelly when I see this. And I go, what happened? In the last three years, it was January of 2016 that all this went down. So, you know, three years almost to the day. The lives of everybody involved in that whole weekend. It's just been amazing. It's amazing to see, and and it puts everything into perspective, right? Just looking at the fact that, that who would have ever thought that we'd be here where not only Drew Gulak and Adam Cole have moved so far beyond doing interviews on hotel balconies and stoops of houses under construction that they have PR people booking their stuff and action figures under my Christmas tree. It's an amazing time. And Santa also left me uh, the action figure. I think it's been made fun of on some podcasts, but it's the WrestleMania John Cena in t-shirt and jeans. And this also has such significance to me because this is the outfit that John Cena was wearing 
when he was two yards away from me as I was in the audience uh, screwing up in front of uh, the biggest audience that's ever seen me on a WWE show during the WrestleMania kickoff show this year. So Santa thought I had to have that, and now I have it. It's just, it's an amazing time. It's an amazing time for WWE. It's an amazing time for pro wrestling in general. I mean, that's the, when you really break it down, as as much as 2018 has been a crazy year in the world of WWE, it's been a crazy year in the world of NXT, and it's been a crazy world in 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 the world of pro wrestling in general. And so I thought that this week, since it is the holidays, since it is approaching New Year's, you know, it's the last show of 2018. Instead of doing an interview and then a state of wrestling where we go through the top five stories, blah, 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 this would be the day. Today is the day that we go through what I believe are the top 10 stories in the world of pro wrestling for 2018. So here it is. This is a special episode, 2018's top 10 stories in the world of wrestling. And by the way, the this entire podcast will be available on my YouTube channel as well. You'll be able to watch this whole show, not just on Patreon like normal, but on YouTube as well for free. Of course, you'll get it first at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling, but the visual of the entire show uh, will be available on YouTube only for this show. Then we're going back to, to Patreon and building that paywall back up. But it's, it's 2018 for only a couple more days, and I'm in a giving mood. So let's get into it. Let's talk about what a year 2018 was. You know, over on the Not Sam Wrestling Instagram account, I put up a graphic, and I opened this up to people. I said, give me your suggestions, because as the year goes by, so much happens. We tend to forget everything. And so, you know, I wanted to make sure that I had multiple voices contributing. I reached out to some friends. I put the thing up on social media. I scoured through websites and YouTube channels just to kind of figure out what people were talking about uh, at several points throughout the year. And what I think that I've come up with is, for me, the list of the 10 stories that moved the needle more than just about any in wrestling and will have ramifications, for the most part, that go into 2019 and beyond. Um, We saw a lot of table setting, I feel like, for the future across the board in wrestling, and we'll talk about that, I think, a lot as the show goes on today. But we start the number 10 item on our list of the top 10 stories. And by the way, WWE... You know, we won't have a traditional state of wrestling today, but they did not slack off on holiday episodes. There is a lot going on in the Christmas Eve and the Christmas Day episodes of Raw and SmackDown. I mean, way more so than most holiday shows, from a new U.S. champion to uh, Daniel Bryan coming out and interrupting the R-Truth Santa segment to the announcement that McManaclaw's made to all kinds of stuff going on. So if you were with family and you skipped Raw and SmackDown this week, get over to YouTube or Hulu or wait for it to come out on WWE Network, whatever you do to catch up. But make sure you catch up on Raw and SmackDown this week because very eventful shows that are definitely worth taking a look at. But this whole year has been eventful, and that's what we're here to unpack. The number 10 story on my list is really the last month to two months 
of WWE. And the number 10 story is the Raw ratings slump. The Raw ratings slump. One of my big criteria for my top 10 stories was stories that everybody was talking about in the wrestling world and that start to permeate outside the wrestling world. And this is a story that started to permeate outside the wrestling world. At the end of the year, people were coming up to me that don't necessarily watch, and you know that's a big thing for me. I really pay attention to people who used to watch that are kind of aware of WWE but don't watch week to week. When those people come up to me and talk to me about things, that's when I know that that things are really penetrating uh, the culture. So, Raw rain. people were coming up to me and they were going, uh, you know, Sam, I heard Raw's not doing that well in the ratings. Is that true? And you'd have to go into this thing while it's a different time, blah, blah, blah. But that is true. One of the main reasons that it is the number 10 item on my list and that it's on my list at all is not just because it was such a talking point this year, at the end of the year, but because of what it led to. Okay, I mean, let's think about it. It became such a real-life story that first, WWE had to use it in their storyline. I mean, and I say had to use it. I'm sure, you know, they have a choice, obviously. They don't have to. But it, it was such a strong talking point that WWE chose to make it a part of their show. Seth Rollins comes out, and he's yelling at Baron Corbin while Baron Corbin is still the general manager of Raw, saying that, Nobody's watching the show that raw ratings are down because you're doing such a bad job. And that's when you start going, whoa, everybody really must be aware of this because now they're taking storyline and having it explain the real life of what's going on with raw. And people have got a hundred reasons, by the way, why the raw ratings were down at the end of the year. Um, the three hour thing, I definitely think is more of a con than a pro, but I think most of us have thought that for a long time. You know, I, I don't think that it's a matter of needing new talent on Raw personally. Maybe doing away with the general managers is a good idea. You know, that sort of uh, uh, formula of having the authority figures that the good guys are trying to battle against is, is pretty played out regardless of how well you do. It's been done. You know, I don't think that Mick Foley for as a, a, Hall of, a Hall of Fame level of performer as he is. He deserves every ounce of gold in that ring. And I'm talking about the ring that's on his finger for being in the Hall of Fame. You know, I don't think his role of general manager goes down. It's not, for instance, when Mick Foley was the commissioner of Raw, just because of the way the commissioner was positioned, that's like a classic. Mick Foley is general manager of Raw, meh. Kurt Angle is general manager of Raw, meh. Baron Corbin is general manager of Raw, Meh. It's one of those things where, you know, just because of the way the stories are told now and just because we've seen general managers and, and you know, commissioners and presidents and all this stuff for as long as we've seen it, it's played. Plus, everybody knows the McMahons are controlling everything anyway. So I do think that getting rid of the general managers is a step in the right direction. Uh, I don't think that we need new talent necessarily. What I do think we need is to focus on creating great stories for the amazing talent that's there. WWE is in a position, I believe, where there is more talent on the roster than they've ever, 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 ever had. It's just a matter of finding ways to show that talent off and 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 really start to focus. And maybe part of it is there seems to be a little bit of uh, um, people taking precautions in terms of pulling the trigger 
on certain talents. And it's almost like it's any talent. Like, we don't want any specific uh, superstar to become too, too big. But it's kind of like you have to allow them to, you know? That's what made The Rock and Stone Cold so great. That's what made Hogan so great. That's what made Shawn Michaels so great. That's what made John Cena so great is that you have to allow when there's this tidal wave to allow the tidal wave to take over. And we'll talk about who that tidal wave may wash up, meaning who's going to ride that wave to success next year as the show goes on. But the WWE have acknowledged it not only with the Baron Corbin thing, but with the returns of all of the McMahons as television characters, including Vince McMahon. And we saw on SmackDown, Vince McMahon was, again, a big presence in backstage vignette spots on SmackDown. And I think that that's the way it should be. I think that Shane and Stephanie should be on-screen authority figures on Monday Night Raw coming to the ring doing the whole thing. I think Vince McMahon should be the voice of SmackDown. Vince McMahon should be the voice of authority on SmackDown. I think that that's the way to do it. But one of the big things that's come out of this is Vince McMahon showing up in a Santa outfit on the show and uh, announcing to the world, let me just scroll through, announcing to the world a few things. This week on Monday Night Raw, you can see him snoozing in his chair, McManta Claus, saying that John Cena was coming back, which I think we all kind of knew would happen. But this was the big announcement that people have been talking about for a long time. And... A lot of people have wanted it. A lot of people are just interested in it as a conversation. But it looks like it's going to happen, according to Vince McMahon, in a Santa outfit. And if you can trust anybody, it's Vince McMahon in a Santa outfit. Yes, you know that? How about this one? Coming this year, we're going to have new tag team champions of the women's, of the women's division. No. And then, which way this goes, but and on top of that, how about this? Next week here on Raw, New Year's Eve. And it's going to be a steel cage match. So it's almost an aside, right? He's plugging the other stuff that's going on next week on Raw. And that's cool. You know, we got to get people tuned in. But the announcement is officially made. In 30 seconds of a pre-recorded vignette with Vince McMahon dressed as Santa Claus, we get the official announcement. In 2019, and that's a big reason why this story is number 10 and on my list of top stories of the year. Because we get the official announcement that women's tag team championships are going to be crowned. We are going to have tag team champions of the world in the women's division. And I saw Sasha and Bailey going crazy on Twitter about it. I saw uh, Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville going nuts about it. I saw the Iconics going nuts about it. And that's great. And of course, Mickey James did point out that this is not technically the debut, the launch of the Women's Tag Team Championship. It's the uh, relaunch because there was a Women's Tag Team Championship uh, a couple decades ago that uh, went by the wayside extraordinarily quickly, but it did exist. The WWE, WWF Women's Champion Tag Team Championship did at one point exist. To be fair, Mickey James is right, but it's been a long time and certainly nowhere near this era have we ever had anything like that. I don't think... Most people watching wrestling today, I can safely say, remember the women's tag team division with championships in WWE. Now, there's a couple of things at play here. I feel like um, this has been in the making for a long time. I think that the reason that Sasha Banks and Bayley did not have a big rivalry this year 
is because they said, well, maybe we want to do a women's tag team championship. I think the reason why Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville, their sort of breakup has been teased, but you haven't pulled the trigger on it, I think is because if they do actually have a women's tag team championship, they want to have at least a few established female tag teams, which I think is right. Here's my issue, and here's been my issue with it since the beginning. Um... I don't think either roster, Raw or SmackDown, has enough women on it to make it tag team championship, uh, uh, I don't want to say worthy, but I just don't think that there's enough women on the rosters right now individually to make it so that it would make sense because, you know, if you've got a women's championship match, that's two. You've got a women's tag team championship match. That's four. Now you got six women. There's that's half the women's roster, right? And so half the women's roster is taken up. If you've got two teams that are trying to get their hands on the titles, now you've got two challengers and one set of champions. That's six. Two, you know, one woman trying to go after the women's championship. That's eight. You're left with very few options. You're going to run out of matches quickly is the point. And look, you can, I'm all for bringing more women on board. Absolutely. But I think that, that as I've said before, that the women's division should be concentrating on finding more stories for the women than necessarily titles. You could say uh, that what this means is that we'll have the women's tag team championship go between the rosters, meaning there's one women's tag team champion and they go on Raw and SmackDown. And I think that the, that will probably be the way it works out, just because the number of competitors, right? But then I worry about the the uh, 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 integrity of the brand split. Then I sit there and wonder, well, you know, you're now getting to a point where you've got the Women's Tag Team Championship that goes between Raw and SmackDown. You haven't really separated the McMahons. So you've got the McMahons in charge of both Raw and SmackDown. So authority figures are the same. The women's tag team champions are the same. You have to imagine that when SmackDown goes to Fox, that's going to be a major, 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 major deal. You have to imagine that when that goes down, you're going to start having some of your big stars from Raw show up on the SmackDown show. Because, you know, Fox paid as much as they did for the show, and the fact that they're on network TV, I think WWE is going to want to take advantage of it. So I, 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 I worry that we're going to start losing the integrity of the brand split. And long term, I feel like when you lose the integrity of the brand split, you end up in a scenario because you might say, well, you know, it's not effective anyway. You should put them all together regardless and blah, 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 which isn't true. You know, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think there's enough compelling storytelling going on on Raw that if you brought over the entire SmackDown locker room, that you would have room for all them as well, you know, uh, in terms of getting them on TV, in terms of getting people interested. And what happens is you end up with a lot of people being forgotten about and you end up with a show. Last time this happened, the roster split was intact. It kind of got chipped away at and chipped away at and chipped away at. It fell apart and SmackDown became a show that wasn't necessary watching. So I like the brand split. I think it should maintain, and that's the only reason. I love the idea of women having another title. I love the idea of women's tag team matches happening and them having something to fight for. I think that the championship needs to be 
made sure that an esteem is built around it, um, that this is something worth fighting for, that there are stories being told between the teams, and that it doesn't affect the long-term health of the brand split. That's, that's my thing on that. But that is the number 10 story. Number nine this year is the pseudo-return of Hulk Hogan. Now, Hulk Hogan, of course, was washed away from the memory of WWE after uh, some tapes came out of him using horrible derogatory racial slurs and really in a, in a as just about as bad a way as you can think of. You know, if you heard the tapes or read the transcripts, there's not a lot of justifying that you could do for Hulk Hogan's behavior on those tapes. He went away. He was washed out of the Hall of Fame. You know, he was taken off the website, the whole thing. Uh, but this year, he made a, a surprise appearance backstage at a WWE pay-per-view. He apologized to all of the talent. Spent a couple minutes shaking hands, kissing babies, whatnot. And then he was gone. Um, some of the performers were ready to forgive. Some of the performers didn't care. Some of the performers not ready to forgive. You know, And I, I, I respect that the WWE allowed all the performers to speak out on Hogan however they saw fit. You know, It was no secret which superstars were not ready to welcome Hulk Hogan back and were not happy to see him back in that building and didn't think that he had learned anything or apologized the way that he should have. I like that WWE allowed their superstars to say this stuff publicly on Twitter and whatnot. Um, but not only that, but he came and at Crown Jewel, he made a surprise appearance as the host, which really just meant that he came out and cut a promo in the beginning of the show. But it was significant because it was the first time that Hulk Hogan had been in a WWE ring since all of this controversy. He's back in the Hall of Fame. He's on the website again. They're selling Hulkamania t-shirts on WWE Shop. They haven't gone crazy with it. They're just selling the classic Hulkamania shirt in red and in yellow. And that's it. They're not, they haven't had new action figures come out of him. He wasn't in the new video game this year. It's a very slow rollout of Hulk Hogan. But the point is, a relationship has been reformed. When Hulk Hogan did an autograph signing this year with Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, and Eric Bischoff, I think, was there too, and it was the NWO reunion, the WWE helped promote it. It was all over their Twitter and Instagram and stuff like that. So that is a huge story because, number one, anytime Hulk Hogan is going to be involved with pro wrestling, it's a big story just in the sense that Anybody on that level, it would be a big story. If Stone Cold decided to do something with wrestling, it would be a big story. The Rock. The Undertaker, really. Uh, John Cena, as I said. Any of those guys. The guys that really are on the Mount Rushmore or in the conversation to be on the Mount Rushmore. When those guys step out and it's time for them to do something with wrestling, it's a big story. This is even bigger because Hulk Hogan did something that was so bad that the WWE distanced themselves from one of, if not the biggest star they've ever had, certainly the biggest star they ever had prior to 1996. So, and and it's something that, especially after Hogan, you know, WCW went under and Hogan made his return to WWE, you kind of felt like, okay, Hogan will always be there. 
And the fact that he did something so bad that WWE said, we just can't have this around us. Like, this isn't, this doesn't represent us, you know. He's back from it, though. And it's a big deal, you know. I think that, uh, I, I personally think that Hulk Hogan benefits more from his relationship with WWE than WWE does from their relationship with Hulk Hogan. I'm sure they're going to be able to capitalize on the relationship, but. You know, I just think that the WWE has grown so immensely in the last however many years that if Hogan were never to show his face in the WWE ring again, WWE would be absolutely fine. It'd be tough for Hogan, but WWE would be absolutely fine. All that said, when people do bad things, I'm okay forgiving them unless they do it again. If Hulk Hogan is going, does not participate in the behavior that he once participated in and he says he doesn't anymore and it's been years and there's no evidence of him participating anymore. That's fine for me, but I'm just one man. You know, that's just my personal opinion as an individual. Um, the question is, will he be at WrestleMania this year? You know, he tweeted out or said to TMZ or he, did, he made some kind of statement about going and and being back in the WWE family and going to Crown Jewel and going to WrestleMania it will be interesting if the WWE decides to bring him to WrestleMania 35, to bring him to New York, to MetLife Stadium, to, I should say, New York, New Jersey, and see if he goes there. Maybe he'll just be at the Hall of Fame ceremony. Maybe he'll induct somebody. Maybe he'll just be sitting in the audience, you know? Who knows what the plan is for WrestleMania? Because, for instance, if The Rock ends up at WrestleMania— and he'd prefer not to have Hulk Hogan on the same show as him just because of the bad PR, I think The Rock could probably get that done. And I think WWE would be smart to go with The Rock on that one. He's the one that I think is bringing the eyeballs to the show. So it will be interesting, but who would have thought in 2018 one of the biggest stories of the year is still Hulk Hogan? And I think this will be a bigger story in 2019 when we see what his relationship with WWE in, is what it entails. But, you know, I, I think the fact that the door was even open to crack this year is big enough to make my list of top 10. Number eight, the number eight story, I wasn't going to put it on the list until I read it in the Instagram comments. This is one of you, Russell Botch, who, by the way, Russell Botch is one of the great Instagram accounts of 2018. It's amazing. But WrestleBotch, and it is fitting that WrestleBotch would, would suggest this one, uh, tweeted that this is should be on the list, and this made my number eight, okay? So this, technically, to me, is a bigger story than Hogan or than the Raw ratings tanking and the uh, announcement of the return of the Women's Tag Team Championship, and that is... The Titus Slide. It was the greatest Royal Rumble, and probably the most noteworthy thing to come out of the greatest Royal Rumble was Titus World Slide. It's still being talked about. Gallows and Anderson just have uh, just uh, 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 premiered a new show on the WWE Network called Botch Club, where they did an investigation into Titus World Slide. I remember I had Corey Graves on my radio show, not the wrestling podcast, the radio show. That's how big this botch was. The Titus Slide is one of the two biggest wrestling botches of all time. The Titus Slide is right up there with the Shockmaster. And I think the Titus Slide might even be 
a bigger singular botch. Now, the Shockmaster is a bigger botch-worthy story because it affected poor Fred Ottman's career for the rest of it. Titus World Slide, though, was a moment that everybody got immediately. A man running to the ring, slipping, falling, and disappearing under the ring is funny in any language, in any country, to any person. Whether you're a wrestling fan, whether you're not a wrestling fan, whether you're man, woman, child, whatever, seeing this moment works for everybody. 39 men and the leader of Titus Worldwide. There he is. That's a long ramp to run down. By the way, on the Botch Club show that is on the WWE Network, I, I loved it. I would suggest you guys watch it. They have footage of him in gorilla position before he comes out. And the producer's telling him to rush, not to waste any time getting to the ring. That I guess, you know, they're trying to pick up the pace on this thing. So the producer's telling him to run to the ring. And he's going, no problem. And then they show the reaction that they had in gorilla position after all this happened. It was great. But here you go. That's also how you know Corey Graves is a good person. Because you can hear, he doesn't laugh until Titus starts to move. Because Corey Graves, and again, this is how big this story was. We talked about it. I had Corey Graves on my radio show on Sirius XM. Not the wrestling podcast, the mainstream radio show. And said, I want you to watch you watching this for the first time. And the video's up on the YouTube channel. But... He was saying that there was a moment where it was like, oh, no, I hope he's okay because there are those steel beams holding that ring up. If you slide into one of those, you're paralyzed, right? But when they see Titus is okay, just embarrassed, that's when the laughter starts. He's had dinner with many princes and very important people, and he oh. just... <laughs> oh, my God, what the heck? What did Titus just... I can't believe what I just saw. Did that really happen? Oh, my God. Oh, my God, did that happen? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. There he goes. He disappeared. And apparently Titus was fuming when he got back in the ring and just started wailing on anybody, everybody. If you watch that clip again and go to the WWE Network and find it, you can see Titus is just hammering everybody that he comes into contact with because he's so mad about what just happened. But I feel like that clip will live forever. I watched that clip on the New York Post. I saw it everywhere. Okay, this botch was certainly in 2018 and maybe of all time, the botch that transcended wrestling. And when you can get a botch that transcends wrestling, that botch to me becomes so big, it ends up on the list of the top 10 stories of 2018. You know, you think about it. The Hulk Hogan thing, that's a big news story. People outside of wrestling were talking about it. Even the Raw ratings thing, big news story. People outside of wrestling were talking about it. This is another one. You saw it in newspapers. You saw it on the news. People coming up to you. What happened with this guy who fell under the ring or something? Oh, well, let me show you. And there's nobody you could show that clip to that wouldn't laugh. Plus, it's one of those things where it couldn't have possibly happened to a nicer guy. I think Titus probably is well aware that it's super good for his career, you know, just in, in the in the sense that it gets everybody talking. That went down in April of this year. And it's still like only what? Seven other things beat it. It was the eighth best moment of the year for me in the world of wrestling. And the eighth most important moment 
of the year. And if Titus had just run to the ring and gotten in there and participated in the Battle Royal, nobody would have left the greatest Royal Rumble talking about Titus O'Neil. They would have been talking about Braun Strowman, who won the Battle Royal. But because that went down, that's what became the headline, and Titus O'Neil's name was everywhere. So it's not, it's not, not, not terrible news for Titus O'Neil. He's got a piece of tape that will live in wrestling forever. And it went down this year in 2018. The number seven story. We leave WWE and we go over to NXT. The number seven story of the year is the story of Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano. So this, to me... And, and I guess because it's on NXT and maybe NXT has a few less eyes on it than WWE does, I don't know. You know, NXT is a, is, a, is a weird thing because it doesn't have the eyes on it that WWE does, which is for the better, I think, because, you know, everybody's able to be a little bit more free because they're catering to a more of a niche fan base. But it doesn't get the mainstream eyes. However, it also, I don't think, gets... The credibility that independent organizations get, that Ring of Honor gets, that New Japan gets, that all these other places get. When we talk about the big things happening in wrestling, so often NXT stories are not what comes up. And to me, the storytelling between Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano, better than anything, any one story in WWE, in Ring of Honor, in New Japan, anywhere. Personally, I would rather sit there. If you came to me with a DVD and you said, I've got a DVD for you, and I'd say, listen, old man, I'm a young kid. I don't watch DVDs anymore. Give me a digital copy or something. He said, okay. If you came to me with a digital collection and it is the story of Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa in 2018 or the story of Kenny Omega and Okada you know, whatever, 2016 through 2018. Which one do you want? I want Gargano Ciampa, personally. You know, I think that the Gargano Ciampa story plays out more like a perfect movie than any other story in wrestling for a very long time. I mean, I think people should be talking about Gargano Ciampa on the Hogan-Savage level of storytelling. And... This is kind of what happens. No matter how good the storytelling is, when it doesn't climax at WrestleMania five, maybe it never goes down as being as big of a story. But to me, no story, no storyline, no story on the show beats this, Ciampa and Gargano. I mean, let's think about it. And it's told through takeovers, really. And I think, I guess part of it is that, you know, NXT only runs so many takeovers and... The TV is not on the level of takeovers, but the, t you know, I, I, I feel like, like NXT basically runs like the old WWE used to run in the sense that it wasn't about the TV necessarily. And there's some great stuff happening on NXT TV. I think NXT TV is actually very underrated, but it's these takeovers and NXT put out, what's five? Five of the best wrestling shows of the year. And they only put out five. They went five for five this year with takeovers, and a lot of that was due to the story being told 
between Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano. It starts in Philadelphia. It starts in January of this year, the night before the Royal Rumble. Of course, uh, Tommaso Ciampa has been out with an injury for the better part of the year before. Gargano and Ciampa had been a tag team. Ciampa turned on Gargano, but was injured at the time, so there was never any payoff or anything. So he just kind of disappeared. Meanwhile, Gargano went through a bit of a losing streak and then came out of it and became one of, if not the biggest good guys in NXT. We go to take over Philadelphia. And I was noticing uh, at the time of this recording on Wednesday of this week that uh, this the match that I'm about to talk about was getting some love. And it's the first time I've heard about the match since it happened for the most part, just because so much went down after it. But that match is Andrade Cien Almas versus Johnny Gargano. What I want you to do is go in, when you're going and you're looking at, uh, you go to the WWE Network, look at that Titus O'Neil thing, watch him hammer people when he gets in the ring because he's so pissed about sliding under it. Then go to TakeOver Philadelphia from January of this year and watch that Andrade Cien Almas versus Johnny Gargano match with Candice LeRae and uh, uh, Zelina Vega. I was about to say Thea Trinidad. Zelina Vega. Uh, getting involved in everything. It was just so well done. I remember watching that show. And, you know, it was before 2018 did to takeovers what 2018 did to takeovers. 2018 brought a whole new level of expectation to takeovers, and they have not disappointed yet. It was the street fight in Philadelphia between Adam Cole and Aleister Black. And that was the second-to-last match. It was that match and then the championship match going on. And I said, I think I was sitting with Maria Menunos at the time. And I said, well, I don't know how the main event, quote unquote, is going to compete with that. I said, Adam Cole and Aleister Black just stole the show. There's no following that. There's no way that Andrade and Johnny are going to be able to come out here and follow that. Not only did they follow that, but they beat it. They stole the show. And had one of the best matches of the year. You know, I think the fact is that if you go through the best matches of 2018, you could pick pretty much any Johnny Gargano takeover match. And you could put all of them on that list. That's how good it is. But you have this amazing match where it can go either way. We don't know. You know, this could be Johnny Gargano's crowning moment. This could be whatever. Johnny Gargano ends up losing, but he gets the standing ovation anyway because he had the match of his life. And as he's leaving, out comes Tommaso Ciampa to everybody's surprise, and he turns on him. He turns on him, and you can't believe what you've seen. We've been following these guys from the time, you know, they were both in the Cruiserweight Classic, believe it or not. They were in NXT, but they were like, not even officially signed to NXT. They were guys that were still on the indies, but also doing NXT. Just to, it, it was before the NXT business model. <coughs> Excuse me. It was before the NXT business model became what the NXT business model became, and and they and they weren't winning all the time. You know, then they end up forming a tag team together, DIY, and you know people loved them, but the authors of Pain took them out. Ciampa turns on Gargano. Ciampa goes away with an injury. He comes back. 
and in Gargano's moment of weakness, stomps all over him. We flash forward to WrestleMania weekend, take over New Orleans this year, and we have the, uh, uh, what was it? The, it, it, was, it was the match where uh, NXT had their hands off of it. It was the, uh, not the undisputed match, but I think you know what I'm talking about. Um, you guys are probably going crazy in your cars or in your, uh, in, at the gym right now, wherever you are, going crazy. Going, It was the uh, uh, unsanctioned match. It was unsanctioned by NXT. And it was Gargano Ciampa one-on-one. And this match was so brutal and so believable. First of all, I remember sitting in the hotel bar after takeover. And I watched Gargano, uh, uh, Ciampa come into that hotel through the lobby. He didn't stop at the bar. But he came through the lobby and he looked worse than MMA fighters look after the fight of their lives. You know, I mean, it was real life. It was to the point where I, I mean, I'm, I'm watching it and I'm backstage at that show and I'm watching on the monitor. The entire NXT roster is glued to these monitors watching this match. And I wasn't alone when I thought that, remember, that Gargano had, had, had broken Ciampa's uh, crutch, right? At one point, he, made, he went like he was going to stab him. And he stopped right before, and I'll be damned if I didn't think we were going to see a man get stabbed on pay-per-view. I said, how far are they going to go with this thing? And of course, that was the moment when Ciampa showed a little bit of vulnerability, tried to uh, prey on Gargano's weakness, but Gargano saw him coming, and Gargano got the win. We go forward to the rematch. And the rematch was a Chicago street fight. Falls count anywhere, you know, the whole thing. And that was the match where they tore apart the ring. You remember they they ripped up the canvas, they dropped the DDT. And that match was so beautiful because that was the match where Gargano had Ciampa beat. And instead of being Johnny Wrestling, instead of being the good guy, Gargano doesn't do what he normally does. Gargano goes against his instincts and instead he looks to embarrass and to inflict pain on Ciampa for everything that Ciampa did. Well, that ends up costing Gargano and Gargano loses the match. And the reason that he lost the match is because he wasn't true to himself and he wasn't a good guy. He became a villain for a moment and and he couldn't beat him. And Ciampa ends up winning. We go forward to NXT TakeOver Brooklyn. Now, NXT TakeOver Brooklyn was supposed to be a triple threat match between Aleister Black, Johnny Gargano, and Tommaso Ciampa with that NXT championship on the line that Tommaso Ciampa had won on NXT TV. Aleister Black ends up getting injured. They do the whole uh, somebody jumped him in the parking lot uh, angle. The Who Done It, which I loved. They had that going throughout the summer. And they have to have a third match now. And by the way, by now people are going like, I don't know if they can do it again. Even at the rematch, the rematch between these two, people were going, I was going, are we really going to try to do this again? The first match was so good. Are we really going to be able to repeat it? But the way it ended, the way the second match ended, with that sort of twist, that story that was told, 
made it amazing. When Aleister Black is out, I'm going, who are they going to replace Aleister Black with? And lo and behold, nobody. Third time's a charm. This time it's a last man standing match. It's Johnny Gargano versus Tommaso Ciampa. And I'm going, come on. Come on. They ripped apart the ring. They jumped off electrical boxes. Gargano already lost his smile. I mean, what more can you possibly do? But again, the ending of that match was spectacular in the sense that Gargano fought with everything that he had. He gave his life for the match, and that's what cost him. Ciampa is handcuffed to the entranceway, to that display thing that they have. With everything Gargano has, he almost kicks Ciampa's head off to the point that he kicks him, knocks him out. Gargano's knocked out. But Ciampa rolls off the electrical box that he's on. So he's hanging there by his wrist, but technically standing up. And Gargano has fought so hard that he can't get up. And Ciampa wins. The rubber match goes to the villain, Ciampa. This has driven Gargano to the point of insanity where Ciampa is now the champion of the world. Ciampa is the guy. He's obsessed with that title and Gargano just can't win. He blames Aleister Black for everything. He's going to prove to the world. He goes, he fights Aleister Black at NXT TakeOver War Games and he loses. By the way, another one that was one of the best matches of the year. That's one, two, three, four, five. Five times at takeovers. Five times at five takeovers, Gargano had a match that could be considered best of the year. And it all revolves around this story with Ciampa. Now, as we go into 2019 and we head towards NXT TakeOver Phoenix, we're still sitting there. We're looking at this unholy alliance that's developed as Gargano has come over to the dark side and Ciampa likes him. A, 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 a dark version of DIY is starting to form and build a dark cloud over NXT. I just think it's great. I think the whole story is great. I think it's so rare that you have this. And I think that, you know, we've got a lot more story to tell. But I think that when it's all said and done, this is going to be one of those forever wrestling stories that you talk about. I just think it's amazing. We go to story number six. Story number six involves that building, Madison Square Garden, New York City, in 2018, for the first time in, I don't know, decades and decades and decades, another wrestling company announces that not only are they going to do a show at Madison Square Garden, not the theater at Madison Square Garden, but Madison Square Garden proper, but they're going to do it WrestleMania weekend, and they sell out immediately. And that organization is Ring of Honor with the help of New Japan Pro Wrestling. So, come April, Ring of Honor is going to be running Madison Square Garden with the help of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, you know, it's hard to talk about this from on a micro level without talking about where Ring of Honor is going in 2019 and what's going on with them. Of course, you know, originally the thought was, all In did so well that All In 2 would maybe be at Madison Square Garden. Ring of Honor announces that this show is happening, and you go, oh, okay. And then you realize that apparently, at least the Young Bucks and Cody 
will not be at this Madison Square Garden show. Now, it's not a risk for Ring of Honor because they've already sold the place out, but what does a Madison Square Garden show look like for New Japan and Ring of Honor without Cody and the Bucks? I would imagine you'll have Kenny Omega. I would imagine, much to the WWE's rightful chagrin, you'll have Chris Jericho, I'll bet. You know, Chris Jericho actually has a big big call to make. I did see, uh, as I was going, um, I'm going to give you credit, Snehil the... Kasserwani. Snehil the Kasserwani. I hope I pronounced your name right. I probably didn't. Says Jericho and New Japan Pro Wrestling should be one of the stories of the year. And that's a 2017 story, my friend. He did do stuff in New Japan, but, you know, he started in New Japan at Wrestle Kingdom on January 4th or whatever it was. The whole build-up to that was 2017. You know, I think that Jericho and New Japan would be on the list, but it's a 2017 story. He continued into 2018, but the story that deserves to be on the list is just him being there and doing that and, you know, creating new ground. Is that an expression? Creating new ground? Um, but just tackling it from a whole new level. And that is a conversation about what happened in 2017, in my opinion. Uh, otherwise, Jericho would absolutely be on the list. But maybe Jericho will be at Madison Square Garden. I wouldn't be shocked. You'd imagine Okada, Naito. You know, everybody from New Japan, I would imagine, will be there. Um, but on a macro level, on a big picture level, I think that this is more of a story, and the reason it's so high on the list is because it's more of a story about the history of WWE and how things are changing. Things are changing. WWE decided not to run television at Madison Square Garden anymore. You know, none of the TV shows are run at Madison Square Garden. They, I'm sure if WWE wanted to, the Hall of Fame. It would have been nice if TakeOver, I mean, wouldn't it have been cool to see TakeOver Madison Square Garden? Because that's probably what they would have named it. They wouldn't have even called it TakeOver New York. It would have been TakeOver Madison Square Garden because it would have been so significant that NXT was running a pay-per-view at Madison Square Garden. But business is business, you know. You can't, you can't do that. And Barclays is an amazing venue. And if it makes more business sense to run out of Barclays, it makes more business sense to run out of Barclays. But what you're doing is sacrificing Madison Square Garden for potentially another company to run that place, and that's exactly what happened. I don't know if WWE thought that it would never happen or if WWE just didn't care. You know, there is a possibility that WWE doesn't care all that much because they're running four nights at the Barclays and MetLife Stadium that weekend. It's not like it's a direct competition, right? But it is a big deal. I mean, I'd care if it was my building, but who knows? Who knows? It's a huge deal in the wrestling world that this is happening. It's a huge deal. You know, as much of a big deal it is that a, a, an organization like Ring of Honor is running Madison Square Garden, and it, this is unfortunate for Ring of Honor because, you know, they're doing it with New Japan, obviously. But the real story and the reason that it's number six on my list of top ten things that happened in wrestling this year is because WWE isn't. You know, because a wrestling show that's not WWE is coming to Madison Square Garden. That, to me, is really my big story of the year in, as far as number six goes. That is what Mad the Madison Square Garden story is all about. That... Wrestling is going to be there, and it's not WWE. And I don't think any of us, especially East Coasters, grew up thinking that that would ever happen. Now, 
I don't actually think that it's like uh, bad news for WWE. I just think that it's it's a change, you know? And we just have to realize that, that things are changing. You know, it's interesting. It's not that different from WWE showing up and running their TV on TBS, except for the fact that there wasn't another station for Crockett Promotions to go put their, chan their, their wrestling on immediately, you know, and compete with. You know, it's kind of uh, it's it's kind of similar, except I think that the East Coast will um, embrace Ring of Honor and New Japan being at Madison Square Garden because there's so many wrestling fans here. Plus, it's WrestleMania weekend, which means half of the people in Madison Square Garden won't even be East Coasters. They'll be Eastern Europeans or whatever. They'll be people from all over the world that are here to see that show. And let's be honest, <laughs> WWE is responsible for getting the people to New York that weekend. You know, like I there's not very many if anybody flying to New York from other parts of the world to see Ring of Honor in New Japan at Madison Square Garden. There are people flying all over the world to see WrestleMania in New York. So, you know, you, you do have to credit that. Although New Japan does get people to fly in from all over the world for Wrestle Kingdom. So it's not unheard of. Uh let's move on to story number 5. And story number 5, you know, it was interesting as I was making this list the top five was really, really tough for me. My original list, before I even thought, when I was just jotting things down, number five was actually my original number one, believe it or not. And it went all the way down to number five because once I got the 10 stories that I wanted to do, it was hard to justify the four above this not being in the top four. My number five story is Ronda Rousey comes to WWE. Ronda Rousey not only in the sense that she's a big star and she came to WWE, but what she's done. You know, I think that uh, the jury was still out on her when she first got here. She showed up as a complete shock to everybody at the Royal Rumble. She swerved us all. She said she was in South America filming a movie or something. Nothing about any WWE. And then she shows up at the end of Royal Rumble and she points at the WrestleMania sign as if to say, I'm going to WrestleMania too. Asuka, I know you're going. Charlotte, I know you're going. Alexa Bliss, I know you're going. I'm going too. And you go, whoa. And, you know, the jury was out on Ronda. You know, let's not lie. The jury was completely out on Ronda. People were not, and I, I think people were pessimistic about Ronda. And some of it was uh, her kind of learning how to, just conduct herself in a ring, whether it's just talking or whatever. Part of it was the fact that she's never actually wrestled in WWE. But the minute that she put on her wrestling gear, laced up her boots, walked down the aisle, and had her match at WrestleMania, where she teamed with Kurt Angle against Stephanie McMahon and Triple H, she changed the opinion of the world. I mean, I went out to the audience for that match, and everybody there... First of all, leaving WrestleMania, one of the major consensus I was that Ronda Rousey's match was quite possibly the best match of the night. You know, people were talking about Charlotte versus Asuka. People were talking about the triple threat, the Intercontinental title triple threat match. Um, you know, some of the matches, of course, got washed out. You're talking, you know, a squash match with John Cena and The Undertaker that still hasn't really been explained. Uh, hopefully it will be before this year's WrestleMania. Um... You know, the, the Shinsuke-AJ match was good, not great, but the Ronda Rousey match defied people's expectations 
in the best possible way to such a degree that she made a believer out of everybody. And she went on. She has not had any bad pay-per-view matches whatsoever. She hasn't had any bad matches, period. But she's wrestled on most pay-per-views. She's wrestled on Raw. She's wrestled on house shows. I wish I had this statistic in front of me. I just thought of it just now as I'm talking to you. But if I had thought of it, I would have, have figured out how many matches Brock Lesnar wrestled this year and how many matches Ronda Rousey wrestled this year because it's not even comparable. Ronda Rousey, when she came in, people were comparing her to Brock Lesnar. Ronda Rousey is not the Brock Lesnar of the female division. Ronda Rousey is not a freak, not a monster who's brought in for special occasions as an attraction. Ronda Rousey is a role model champion for young women to to aspire to be like, you know? And I think she's doing a really good job of it. I think that she's taking to like a like a fish does to water with the world of pro wrestling. I hope that she's in WWE for a long time. I think the WWE has benefited tremendously. I mean, after the Royal Rumble, everywhere you looked, everywhere you looked, people were talking about Ronda Rousey being in WWE. And people were skeptical when she said, you know, I've signed with WWE because they weren't, they still haven't said how long she's signed for. Nobody knows how many days she's signed for, nothing like that. But there was there was skepticism about how much time she was actually going to do. Meaning, not necessarily one year, two years, but how many matches she was actually going to wrestle. And I think that people have been pleasantly surprised by that too. I think just about every element of Ronda Rousey's run this year has been a pleasant surprise to even the most cynical wrestling fan. Now we're looking at uh, looking towards WrestleMania and the match that everybody wants to headline WrestleMania. The match that everybody wants to close the show involves Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey versus Becky Lynch is the match that everybody wants to see be the main event of WrestleMania this year. And, you know, it, I think that that really, really goes to show how strong Ronda Rousey is. Because you could put it all on Becky Lynch if you want, but people don't just want to see Becky in the main event. People want to see that match specifically. And... As you watch the uh, the back and forth going on on social media, on television, on whatever, Ronda Rousey was hanging in there. Ronda Rousey, when we were looking towards Survivor Series, there is no doubt Ronda Rousey versus Becky Lynch was the most anticipated match on that show. That's why it was such a blow when Becky Lynch got taken off the pay-per-view. Becky Lynch versus Ronda Rousey was the most anticipated match on that show. But, and that was because not just Becky Lynch but because Ronda Rousey was doing just as good a job at selling the fight as Becky Lynch was. It's the fantasy match that everybody wants to see now, and that's a hell of an accomplishment for somebody to walk in in January having never had a professional wrestling match, make her debut at WrestleMania, and have people clamoring to see you in the main event of the WrestleMania one year later. I think that that's amazing. I think 2018 has been the year of Ronda Rousey. I mean, you know, the, the everything about it has been a, a huge, huge success. And I think it brings uh, mainstream attention to the WWE in the best possible way. And it shows off, you know, the athletic side of WWE. So I think it's all really, really good. 
Number four was also suggested on Instagram by at SDJ1890 over on Not Sam Wrestling on Instagram. My number four story for 2018 in the world of professional wrestling is the return of Daniel Bryan. This return, now, because of the way it played out, I feel like we leave 2018 not so much talking about the return of Daniel Bryan, but what he's doing now. When Daniel Bryan returned to WWE, it was almost like he'd never been gone. He was so ready to go. He's so naturally gifted and was so in shape. And the WWE really didn't make that huge of a deal out of it, right? Daniel Bryan, after three years of being gone, and everything that Daniel Bryan does in wrestling is gold. I mean, think about it. Daniel Bryan goes from being absolutely the number one fan choice pro wrestler, right? Four years ago, he had one of the great WrestleMania moments of all time. The end of WrestleMania 30 will forever, forever be be carved into history in stone, That is one of the great moments in the history of WrestleMania. And it's not just because it's Daniel Bryan winning. It's not just because the matches that he had were so good. It's because everybody in that building, everybody watching at home, and everybody that watches now knows that Daniel Bryan was like all of us, not destined to be the WWE champion. Daniel Bryan was not chosen to be the WWE champion. The fans chose Daniel Bryan. And that's what makes it so special. The fans chose Daniel Bryan. We go a year later, WrestleMania 31. Daniel Bryan has had some injury issues, some concussion issues, some blah, 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 but he returns. He's out of the world title picture completely. He opens the show in a multi-person intercontinental championship ladder match, and he wins, and it's, again, one of the great matches of the night, and the, the, the image of him on top of that ladder holding up that championship Just something that people won't ever forget, you know. We go forward, and, you know, within a couple months, he's gone. Concussion issues keep him out of wrestling for three years. But while he's gone, he's general manager of SmackDown. Tremendously popular. He hosts Talking Smack. Tremendously popular and so gifted as a host of that show. He says he's retired. He made a retirement speech. He says he can't come back ever. He's doing a total divas, total Bella's reality shows where they're all talking about how he's got to find something else. He'll never wrestle again. Then out of the blue, this tension starts between him and Shane McMahon on SmackDown. And we go, where's this going? And I interviewed Daniel Bryan about it earlier this year. And he said, I don't think that they knew where it was going. I didn't know where it was going. But a week before WrestleMania, Daniel Bryan gets told that he's cleared. The doctors have cleared him to compete and he can come back to WWE. So a week before WrestleMania, he announces he's coming back. He wrestles at WrestleMania. It was about a week before WrestleMania, I think. He wrestles at WrestleMania and then it's just off to the races, right? And then it's like, like almost like nothing ever happened. He fights with The Miz. He fights with AJ Styles. He does all this stuff. And I feel like It happened so quickly and so much happened that it didn't really allow us fans to process the fact that it was such a big deal 
that one of our favorites of all time that we were told right in the prime of his career was done forever is not actually done forever and he's back. You know, it wasn't until this most recent heel turn and that's because Daniel Bryan started doing something new and doing it really, really well. It wasn't until then that I think people really started to appreciate that Daniel Bryan is back. But I think when you look at stories, when you look at what's happened in 2018, there's not m- not much that's a bigger deal than one of the most popular superstars of all time getting to return full-time on a regular basis. I mean, it's an amazing, amazing thing. And to watch him now, and you know, I was watching him on SmackDown this week, and and... The amount that he's changed, it, it feels like he's changing his body. Like he's changing the way his body looks to more reflect the new heel Daniel Bryan. His hair is totally different. It's like frizzy. It's not well uh, groomed. You know, not as much as it was before anyway. He's got a crazy look on his face. He's never smiling. Like he's just completely embraced this new heel character. And I just think, you know... It just goes to show how really, really terrific Daniel Bryan is and how lucky we are to have him back. And I think when we talk about 2018, we have to talk about the fact that what was never supposed to happen happened, and that's the return of Daniel Bryan. Speaking of things that are never supposed to happen and actually happening, that goes to my number three story. A lot of people thought that this was the number one story of the year in professional wrestling, but I put it as number three. According to Not Sam Wrestling, according to the last professional broadcaster, Sam Roberts, the number three story of 2018 in this world of professional wrestling is All In. All In and the success that was All In. Let's listen to Cody Rhodes uh, at the press conference Announcing All In for the first time. I mean, you gave me a wonderful introduction, but I always like to say, uh, my name is Cody Rhodes. I'm a 12-year pro, and although I go by the American Nightmare, I still very much believe in the American Dream. I get it. I believe that if you have a, a fantasy, a goal, whether it's vocational or whether it's personal, with the will, you can make it real. Today seems, seems very real. And I want to tell you what All In isn't and what All In is. All In isn't about a bet. All In is about a feeling. A feeling that I have in common with Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. You know, it's interesting because it did all start with a bet that was made by uh, between Cody and Dave Meltzer on Twitter. Uh, but that bet has been pretty much forgotten about because of how much bigger All In became and has become. I mean, it became like a Coachella of wrestling. But it became like a Coachella of wrestling if the bands were promoting Coachella and they'd never promoted a concert before. And it was one of the great concerts of the year. You know, I, re- I watched All In on pay-per-view. We did a live pre-show for it for the Patreon uh, folks. We did a live post-show for the Patreon folks, myself and Pat Buck. And one of the big takeaways that I had, first of all, the build-up to All In. Like, it was just nobody has used the internet to their advantage 
the way Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks have. You know, I can't remember if it was Cody. Somebody said that pro wrestling tees has become like the new NWA. In the sense that pro wrestling tees, even though it's just a t-shirt website, is like the presiding body that connects all independent wrestling and wrestlers. And I think that's right. I mean, pro wrestling tees has allowed people to independently make dreams come true. I mean, look at the merchandise that that because pro wrestling tees exists that the Young Bucks and Cody Rhodes have been able to put out. You know, they're in hot topic now because of pro wrestling tees. They're mainstream because of this. And then they come forward with All In. They have a pre-show that's on WGN America, real broadcast TV and real pay-per-view. As well as iPay-per-view, but also cable pay-per-view. And I'm watching it, and I'm going like, this is going to be interesting because they've never put on a pay-per-view. You know, it's got to be a lot more difficult than it looks. I don't know. I've never put on a pay-per-view. But when you watch All In, and hopefully you've DVR'd it or something. I don't know. I'm surprised they haven't put out a DVD or something of it that would allow people to cherish it for always. But, you know... It was pretty close to flawless. Not exactly flawless, but pretty close to flawless. Of course, people always point out, you know, here and there, maybe uh, an audio thing here, an audio thing there, maybe uh, the the main event having to be cut short, blah, 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 blah. You know, that happens on any wrestling show. The fact that they were able to pull off a pay-per-view that looked like it did, that felt like it did, that left everybody happy, that left everybody with this impression that there was a, a degree of professionalism that was being put into this show. That can't be understated. That's not an easy thing to accomplish. Um, you know, they were able to, they actually were able to tie up loose ends on pay-per-view from their YouTube show that I felt like, you know, and people, I feel like the people like the Dick Druids thing, for instance, or the the stuff with Hangman Page and the, and the cowboy boot and the phone and all that stuff. You know, you could write it off as being goofy, but... As somebody who kind of here and there watches Being the Elite, I don't watch every minute of Being the Elite. I don't have time for it. But I try to keep up with what's going on, especially when All In was approaching and, and it was being used as something to promote some of the stuff that was going down on that show. Um, it worked. You know, the Dick Druids didn't take away from the fact that many people on that show had amazing performances. The Dick Druids didn't take away from that. The the stunts that happened, the Jay Lethal. We talked about Jay Lethal. Uh, we talked to him last week on the podcast. And he talked about wearing uh, Randy Savage's jacket to the ring. And I think Jay Lethal said it best that he didn't care at that point about what anybody who didn't like what he was doing had to say because he was getting an opportunity that he never thought he was going to get and he was taking full advantage of it. And I think that that was everybody on that show, right? That was like fantasy camp for so many people. And I think that All In is such an important show because so many people in wrestling, it was kind of like, who had any idea that we could do this? You know, who had any idea that this was even a possibility? And it is, and it was, and it happened. Um, the question remains, what happens going forward? What happens with Cody and the Bucks? What happens with All In? Of course, Cody and the Bucks have uh, uh, filed trademarks on a lot of stuff. 
I think they just filed some more trademarks recently, but All In, too, All Out, All Elite, All Elite Wrestling, blah, blah, blah. Now, look, I haven't heard about any arenas being booked, any TV being done, uh, uh, any wrestlers being hired specifically. I haven't heard about any of it. I would not be shocked if Cody Rhodes and the Young Buck registered a whole bunch of trademarks. So, number one, they would own it. And number two, nobody would see it coming when they showed up in WWE. I think there's still a huge chance that Cody and the Young Bucks show up at the Royal Rumble. I think there is an absolutely huge chance that that happens. And quite frankly, with the WWE sitting there going, uh, it's time to change things, it's time to shake things up, it's time to do this, it's time to do that, I think having Cody and the Bucks invade WWE, not NXT, WWE, would be a great thing. It'd be a great thing for WWE right now. I think it'd be a great thing for Cody and the Bucks right now. You know, and I don't think, I think that, I don't think Cody and the Bucks would sign anything long-term or risky. Meaning, if there was a real risk of the WWE killing their momentum or stopping their career or whatever, I don't think Cody and the Bucks would sign it. I don't think they'd sign up for it. Why would they? They don't have to. You know, I don't think that we should be worried about, well, they end up in WWE, this or that, this or that. You know, I, I think it could be amazing. Now, all that said, we're going to have an announcement in January, apparently. I think that there's just as much likelihood of chances. We see some kind of all-elite wrestling take shape, whether it's televised. Maybe it's going to be televised just on the Young Bucks YouTube channel. Who knows? You know, it's possible, and it's doable, and it could be, if they get advertisers and everything, something that, that financially is feasible. But I think the world is their oyster right now, and the next move is going to be a big one for Cody and the Bucks. I can't wait to see what it is. And I have a feeling that whatever Cody and the Bucks do in 2019, at the beginning, whatever Cody and the Bucks do within a month, will probably put them right back on this list a year from now, the way All In put them as number three on this list. So you're sitting there going, Sam, All In was such a huge deal in the world of pro wrestling. What could possibly be number two? Two words. The man. The rise of Becky Lynch. And maybe this is just because I'm such a sycophantic fanboy. But the rise of Becky Lynch for me is my number two, almost number one, number two story of the year. And that's because I don't remember a moment in wrestling that I loved in the last however many years as much as this one. Becky's proud of herself. She delivered. There's no doubt about that. If the man wanted to send a message to Ronda Rousey, she delivered loud and clear. The question is, will this annihilation continue Sunday at Survivor Series led by what is becoming... Becky, at the top of the stairs... Looking down at Ronda Rousey, bloodied and beaten, but unfazed. Goosebumps every time. Goosebumps every time. Look at the way her face is just smashed. She doesn't care. She's a fighter. Having Ronda Rousey in that armbar, God, do I want to see that match. Oh, I still want to see that match so much. Um, yeah, I, I mean, watching Becky... And this is another one. You know, you talk about Daniel Bryan. The Becky Lynch story is one that wasn't necessarily supposed to happen. To go from uh, 
turning heel at SummerSlam and having it not really work. And by the way, I've heard I've read criticisms from people that go like, well, the only reason Becky is getting cheered is because she turned heel, and heels are supposed to be booed. So she did a bad job. So Charlotte's better. And it's like, well, first of all, enough with the Charlotte's better, Becky's better stuff. That's not what it's about. Becky has a, a special kind of momentum right now. That It's not about Charlotte. Nobody has. Nobody has the kind of momentum that Becky has right now. Nobody. It's organic. It's fan-created. And it's deserved. And it's being taken advantage of by Becky Lynch. She's crushing it. She is absolutely crushing it. I can't wait to see how Becky storms into 2019 because, I mean, I, I, I almost it, it, it would be tough to ever see Becky go down to where she was at. Like, let's be honest. April, WrestleMania, Becky's in the Battle Royal, and she does have a, uh, she gets a, a an entrance on TV. But Becky Lynch was doing nothing for a long time. Nothing. She'll tell you herself. She was doing nothing on TV. She turns heel at SummerSlam, turns on Charlotte. Everybody is cheering for her because it's what they've wanted to see out of Becky Lynch this entire time, and they saw it. There's about a month of weirdness where people are like, oh, are they going to boo Charlotte? Is Charlotte going to be the next Roman Reigns? Is Becky going to be the next this person? And no, here's the thing. Charlotte is so good at what she does that she's able to pivot and still come out looking great. Charlotte has not been affected negatively by this whatsoever. But to watch Becky Lynch become one of, if not the most popular superstars, male or female, in WWE in the last four months or so of 2018 has been like nothing that I've seen in super recent memory. It is similar to Daniel Bryan. It is similar to Stone Cold Steve Austin. It's similar to all that stuff. I got to get a The Man t-shirt. Enough of this nonsense. I already, I already reached out to Chalkline, and I said, let me know when the Becky Lynch jackets are back in stock. I need one. I got to get a The Man t-shirt. I'm going, I got to wait. Next BOGO sale pops up. I'm getting a The Man shirt, and I'm getting an iconic shirt. Enough is enough. Let's stop being ridiculous. Becky Lynch gets my number two spot because... That's another one where she was so popular. The people who don't like wrestling are going like, what's going on with Becky Lynch? It's really rare that somebody is so popular that people say like, well, I keep hearing about this, uh, this, this, this woman. I keep hearing about this Becky Lynch. And I go, no, not the woman, the man. I love the man. I love everything about what she's doing right now. I just think Becky Lynch, straight fire, as Becky Lynch would say. Uh, I hate to end on a down note. But the number one story, it would be hard not to make this the number one story. The number one story is uh, the horrible news that we got from Roman Reigns this year. That Roman Reigns wins the Universal Championship from Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. And within a couple of months, a few months, is giving this speech. I said I'd be a fighting champion. I said I was going to be consistent. And I said I was going to be a workhorse. But... That's all lies. It's a lie because the reality is my real name is Joe. 
and I've been living with leukemia for 11 years. Listen to that. And unfortunately, it's back. And because the By the way, I hope whoever was yelling what after that, like, I, I hope you're sitting there realizing, like, watch that clip again. I hope you're out there listening to this podcast right now. You scumbag, you. That's your legacy in this thing. Yeah, I mean, we've never seen anything like that before. I mean, just just really pretty tragic, you know, really pretty pretty horrible. But, you know, I, I do hope that uh, Roman Reigns is fighting through it. And, you know, it's something, it says a couple things about WWE. It says, it talks about how talented their roster is in the sense that, okay, time to, our biggest star is gone. Time to reassess and move forward um but it also i think this was the moment and it's really unfortunate that this had to be the moment but this was the moment when a lot of fans finally turned around and said yeah roman you are pretty much the man what are we gonna say here you can kind of hear by the end of his promo people are cheering for him and and all this stuff i hope roman is is back very very soon um it's hard to believe that stuff like this, you know, you forget sometimes when you're watching wrestling that these are just real people and they all deal with this stuff. Um, I mean, not this stuff specifically, but they all deal with their own stuff. And sometimes you have to take a step back and go, real life is happening here and this sucks. And and as wrestling fans, whether we cheer or boo his on-screen character, we have to be there to support this man who has provided us with, with countless hours of entertainment over all the years. So, you know, I can't wait until Roman Reigns is back. I think he will be back. I can't wait until he's back. And uh, and we see the next incarnation of who this man is. It's going to be it's gonna be fabulous. Um, but yeah, you know, well wishes going out to Roman Reigns uh, uh, and everything that he's going through right now, especially to his family and his kids. You know, there were a few other stories that didn't quite make the list that, uh, uh, of course, Superman Casey brought up, you know, Brock Lesnar's reign of terror. Of course, Lesnar staying in WWE, big, big story. I think Sammy Callahan deserves some shine, you know, in Impact Wrestling. Sammy Callahan, after what he did to Eddie Edwards, it's pretty rare that a uh, somebody's able to be a true heel in the internet age, and Sammy Callahan was able to do that this year. Paige, of course, having to retire from active competition and becoming a great general manager. We'll see what's next for her, but really having to retire from active competition. I don't think anybody would have seen that coming. Rey Mysterio returning. Uh, Nakamura and Asuka winning the Royal Rumble matches. I mean, that was a lifetime ago, huh? Um, let's see. Stephen, Stephen R. Heel Hebert said that 2018 was the year of wrestlers getting called out for their moves, whether it be for safety, whether it be for realism, whether it be for whatever. And I think a lot of that was happening. You know, there's a lot of uh, uh, people getting called out on social media across all landscapes, whether it's uh, social justice warriors or whatever it is. And, you know, I, I think wrestling is no different. And you do hear people, you know, we see it, especially with women, uh, getting called out for being unsafe in the ring. I've said it a hundred times. You know, unless it's something so obvious and blatant, it's not up to us. If, if, if a superstar was unsafe in the ring, certainly WWE would not allow them in the ring. You know? 
Certainly WWE wouldn't let it happen. But yeah, I guess that was happening. Of course, Shawn Michaels' return is a big story this year, but because it was just for the one match and it ended up kind of not evolving into anything else, I didn't think it made the top 10. I think PCO deserves some shine on that list. You know, and we'll see what he does in Ring of Honor, but I, who would have thought that we'd see Quebecer Pierre in 2018 returning and doing like hardcore stuff and moonsaults off the top rope and whatnot? If you get a chance to see PCO live, he's not human. Check him out. Um, Cole Carter underscore 23 on Instagram said, The Miz not being champion should be on the list. And yeah, I think it is a shame that uh, The Miz didn't, has not ended up in a better spot. He really, really deserves to be. I hope he's able to step out and shine in 2019. Uh, in term, And of course, some a bunch of people pointing out, Sam Roberts versus the Major Brothers is my favorite feud of the year. Yeah. Although I was able to get through uh, almost a whole podcast without bringing up the Major Brothers. Let's see if uh, um, anything happens on the Sam Roberts action figure podcast hosted by Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder this week. Uh, in terms of 2019... I think it'd be silly not to think that Seth Rollins is going to have the biggest year of his career. I think that's a no-brainer. Uh, I think uh, I think it's going to be a big year for Lars Sullivan, quite frankly. I think Lars Sullivan is going to show up on Raw, and it's going to be a good year for him. I think uh, hopefully we will see a Batista return at WrestleMania. I think different from last time, Batista has built up so much goodwill in the years, years uh, that he's been gone that Batista coming back right now, is it, it's a good time for him to come back. And, and this is something that I wanted to bring up last week and I didn't get to. I think in 2019, we will really start to see Mustafa Ali shine. I think 2019 will be the year that everybody starts to see the future potential of Mustafa Ali. I get, I get a vibe about him. When I see this guy wrestling, that it's like, in some ways, it's almost like a young John Cena. Not in the way he looks, not in the way he acts, but there's just something about it. Like, everybody knows. On some level, there's everybody else, and then there's Mustafa Ali. There is something so special about Mustafa Ali as a pro wrestler and as a superstar. Um, you know, I, I, I think that He's not going to reach his peak by any stretch of the imagination in 2019, but we're I think we're really going to see a significant, significant jump in the growth of Mustafa Ali this year. Well, going into next year. We saw it. He's officially a member of the SmackDown roster, which is huge. He's off 205 Live. I think 2019 is going to be his year in a big, big way. Thank you all for being a part of this thing. Don't forget, of course... The entire video went up on YouTube this week. You can watch the whole show with the visuals and everything. Uh, but every week, the State of Wrestling segment, the interviews, everything goes up on video, audio early, ad-free, the whole deal over at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. You can be a Not Sam shill at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. We also just uploaded on Christmas Day, we uploaded uh, the captive audience show. I made my wife, Jess, Watch In Your House Mind Games in real time. You can watch along with us as I try to explain to her why it's the best In Your House of all time. She doesn't watch wrestling. She doesn't even know what In Your House is. It's a great show. You're going to enjoy it. You can only hear it at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. Let me know 
what you thought of this list. Of course, notsamwrestling at gmail.com and notsamwrestling on Instagram are the best ways to get in touch with the show. Not Sam across all forms of social media. Have a happy, healthy, safe new year. We'll see you. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam Wrestling.